I I have emotions on how things were handled while we were there, but I don't. You're right. I don't view it as a failure. I tend to look at most things in life as experiments. So I think that ended up going into that pile. And to be quite honest with you, it was leaving. I, I did have a lot of emotions after we left. And because the job that we went to in China had, it was busy, but I had a lot of free time and I didn't have to do any research, no grading, like nothing was going on with any of that. I wasn't teaching. Uh, I actually could develop hobbies. And that's actually when I started getting into podcasting. And so it was because I needed an outlet that had nothing to do with English teaching or testing or anything. I needed to do a complete break to kind of process everything that had happened during the year and a half. Welcome to this new episode of Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. Today, I have the great pleasure of having with me Stephanie Fuccio. Steph is a podcast content shaper who is determined to help thought leaders get their message to the right audience with a combination of podcasts, newsletters, and videos. She's an American living abroad for over 20 years, a coffee addict, and a lover of stories in any form. Welcome to Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD, Steph. Thank you so much. And congratulations on your recent, recent accomplishment with the podcast. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my my mind about <laughs> around that around like almost four years and all, all those listens and all those countries um yeah thank you it's, it's uh, wonderful yeah I'm, I'm really really happy and uh i'm it really kind of motivates me to keep on going and to improve on the on the format to and to bring you know more and more interesting guests all the time so stephanie we met because of podcasting uh you do you know you do a lot of training uh, or you offer a lot of training around that um i have a guest today that sounded like a dog <gasps> oh i need a name it's lewis and he's uh yeah he's a friend's <laughs> dog and if you hear some noises dog noises today i you know he always wants to stick around with me and uh you know i i'm not i'm I, it's not i can't just leave him in a room or whatever yeah. So if anyone you know hears noises, please bear with us. It's just Lewis. That's so sweet. <laughs> um, yeah. So podcasting, but then when we were talking, I discovered because you know I told you what Papa PhD and now Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD is about. You told me, oh, I have a, a graduate school story. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so can you please just? Uh, Tell us, you know, I, I presented you very quickly, you know, told, told people what you do. But can you please just add a little bit more in terms of um, that part, the academic part, the doing the master's part, and then what came next? Can you just give us a little context of, uh, of that part of your life uh, and, and tell maybe the subject that you studied during the master's, for example? Sure. Well, the, the part that I said was the traumatic part. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I mentioned that with a PhD program. And it was, I actually, I studied, <laughs> it's very bizarre. I studied for my bachelor's degree. I did a bachelor of science for like business engineering. And then I didn't want any of the jobs that went with that. <laughs> and so I ended up going overseas because I wanted to go overseas. So I went overseas and I ended up teaching English for like 20 years. And then I came oh, wow. back. No, it was 15 at that time. Came back to the U.S. 
uh, went back to the U.S. and did my master's degree and then went back overseas for a few more years and then decided I wasn't done. I still wanted to dig into the research more. I was teaching English as a another language. I don't like all the other terms that go with it, but it's as as another language. I was teaching writing specifically, and I didn't like how people were teaching writing. I wanted to use technology more. I wanted to have the students talking and critiquing, not critiquing, but feedbacking on each other. And so I really wanted to intertwine technology and English language teaching together. And that's what the program that I ended up doing uh, for my, that I started doing for my PhD was. It was supposed to be a combination of technology and in, and language learning mm-hmm. all right uh, and so uh now to go a, a little bit more to the, the master's part of it so what attracted you to uh graduate school at that time what what made you uh think okay you know what i'm going back to university and i'm going to get this this degree this graduate degree what was the motivation for that I'm a really pra- I, I'm I'm a lifelong learner, but I'm also a very practical person. And I was already in the field for 15 years, so I went back to a master's degree because I found people who were paper qualified, but didn't have as much experience as I as I did getting jobs that I wanted. And I'm like, wait, no, if it's just the paper, I'll go for the two years and do the thing and get the paper. That's not a big deal. But I mean, it kind of was because I had to go back to the U.S. Uh, to do it. But um. But yeah, I was it was like wanting the jobs I wasn't getting. I needed to be paper qualified. Mm-hmm. And then, so then you you did your masters. That opened the door to those jobs, like you said. You you then went back uh, to the field, let's say, and then uh, you wanted to have this new, you know, to open vistas to this new domain. And you thought, okay, maybe uh, the the PhD is the way. What was the reflection behind that? Because I think this is a really important question that people need to ask themselves do i need a phd what what you know why do i need it and will it really actually help me reach my goals well it, it was very frustrating because no matter how much i was doing in the classroom and doing in conferences talking about what i was doing in the classroom no matter how many case studies i had and stuff like that without having a phd people would like look at the list of who was speaking and, and go to the people that had the most qualifications. And I, I found that it was really hard to reach people um, without that. And also to have the time. Uh, teachers in the field, there's this weird bifurcation in education of you're either teaching or you're researching. And there's a little bit of overlap, especially for grad students who are were overworked way too much in the US. I'm not sure where it is and how, how it is in other countries, but just like global. absolutely worked. Yeah, work to the bone. But in general, once you're out of your graduate program, you're either teaching or you're researching. And there isn't a lot a lot of back and forth between the research going into the teaching. I actually had one of my <laughs> I had someone tell me like I had this plan for my curriculum one semester and I had someone tell me basically saying it's uh, it's too practical. It was supposed to be more theoretical, but it was for teaching a course. And so I was confused because I just thought, oh, thanks. I didn't realize it was an insult. Like I was being too practical instead of really aiming high for their theoretical knowledge of how to write an essay. Mm-hmm. It was it was confusing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so so you you decided to start a PhD. What was then the process of get of finding the program? Did you right away know which program you wanted to get into? There were 
very few that did that. Uh, when it comes to teaching writing, it's one of those disciplines that is very, very based in um, old-fashioned techniques and technologies. And so to find, I think we had it down to two or three um, that had some sort of influence with technology. So it, it wasn't it wasn't that hard to narrow it down. And uh, and then what was how did the 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 process of applying uh, go? Was it a, was it simple? Did, did you you know was it something that uh, unnerved you? I mean, how did that go? Because often <laughs> there's there's already trepidation there at that stage. Yeah, I haven't thought about this in a while. Um, because we had an. Because I had done the the masters not too far away, as far as like the uh, what was it even called? Wow, this is so long ago. Um, the graduate test that you have to take, the GR GRE in the U.S. It's the graduate requirement examination. I think the GRE was still valid. I think it was valid for five years, and I was still within that window. Um, so it was a matter of applying, uh, doing interviews with who I thought was going to be my major professor who actually left before I got there. And, <laughs> and yeah. So you're off to a, 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 you know, a, not a good start. You know. It was an interesting start. Yeah. So doing the interviews, uh, filling out the paperwork, that, that kind of thing. It wasn't that intense. It was just a, a rather long process as I think most of academia, academia's um, entrance processes are. And then uh, you, you were accepted. And then how did so how did that go? So first you, you it's already it was already a kind of a pace a change of pace for you because you'd been abroad and teaching etc cetera, etc cetera. and now you were let's say back home and uh, and having a you know this program to follow uh, how was that those first months how were those first months and and that that first you know period of time uh, being now a graduate student again Being back in the U.S. wasn't that weird. Being in a small town was a little weird. We we're in a very, very small, small agricultural town, and I, I hadn't lived in some place that tiny since I was a child, and so that was a bit of an adjustment because we had lived. My husband and I both um, were doing the program at the same time with different, um, different foci, <laughs> and uh, we were we got had gotten used to like mega cities over in Asia, like Tokyo and Shanghai and that kind of thing. So then to go to a small town was a bit of a culture shock, and um, and then to go into a university program where we were using or trying to use a lot of technology, but the but the program it's not the program, but the college it was in itself was a bit more of the traditional. English as a, a literature, as a like theoretical, yeah, classical theoretical. kind of thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. was was a bit of a shock. All right. So, and and you said that when you arrived, the professor was not there anymore. How, what had happened? Because this happens to a lot of people. They get somewhere, and the and the professor leaves as they are there, and then they have to decide: Do I follow the professor or not? You arrived in, into a, a void of sorts. Yeah. It was a little bit jarring because during orientation, I was like, well, he's not here, but maybe something, maybe he's just not here today. And then I eventually, I still don't know to this day 
what happened and why because things happen so slow to start and I think it's also slow to leave and so I think by when they interviewed me they knew he wasn't going to be there so I was a little confused why that happened so I don't I don't really know <laughs> and then what was you know did the program help you find a new project or a new supervisor Uh, because I imagine if if this is a was a more classical institution, this was the guy who had the expertise and, and was following that subject that interested you, which was more technological. How did you navigate that? What did, did you get help? Um, the good news is that a lot of our a lot of my credits didn't transfer, so I ended up having to backtrack and do a lot more of the same work that I didn't expect. And so that gave me time to learn who was doing what professor-wise. And so that helped, I guess. <laughs> find yeah, yeah, yeah. Because new, you didn't yeah. have to hit the ground running and you could reorient exactly. slowly and more organically. Exactly, yeah. Right. And then, so you're, we already uh, mentioned, you already mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that eventually you left the program. Can you talk a little bit about about that, about maybe the first inkling of mm, this is not what I wanted or what I expected? Yeah, I I knew it was about a year and a half. Okay. But still a, um, still a good chunk of time. <laughs> it it was a good chunk of time. And I actually worked that summer before we left. Um, I worked one and a half job. Like I worked more than normal more than the semester but I and still taking some courses so it was it was an intense an intense time um i knew i love learning i love some classroom experiences but i knew going back to grad school was going to be challenging because i had only gotten more practical and most programs are not and so i knew it was going to be a bit of a struggle but i wanted to give it a go i wanted to sink my teeth in i wanted to you know, do more research. I wanted to have like a direct impact on how things were happening within the space. I, I felt like I had, could contribute and do quite a bit and finally get people to, because I'd have the PhD, you know, make an impact. However, I had some health problems almost um, that were kind of starting already before the program, but they weren't, they were exacerbated from the stress From what? I'm really not sure. Um, it was a big agricultural area, to be quite honest with you. I think some of the chemicals that were in the area had played a part on it. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I had um, I had some medical stuff that came up almost immediately, and I kept trying to go and, and you know, between the gazillion hours of work and kind of sort things out and It just got progressively worse. And the first semester I was there, I actually had major surgery during Christmas oh, wow. break. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. So, so it was just, yeah, it was just uh, piling up to the already the confusion of not having your, your supervisor there and the, the normal, you know, uh, kind of uh, roller, emotional roller coaster of starting something in a new town and in, in a PhD program. Plus, you had this, this problem. So, I guess the, things kind of snowballed and um and uh and then eventually so you say that because of this uh you started thinking of maybe i'm not at, at where i should be or 
because you could have you could have said okay i'll get healthy and continue um but i guess there was something else that um oh no i was i was on that page i was gonna get healthy and continue i i wasn't i didn't i mean i as far as i was concerned it was going to be a seven-year commitment like they kept saying you know some people graduate in five but they don't sleep very much and i'm like oh my gosh i'll do seven thank you very much (laughs) i'm okay with that but um i think the thing that I mean, I, I did want to keep going and, and try, but there were things that happened around the surgery that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I think those, like I, I kept up with everything, which I probably shouldn't have. Like I was back in the classroom 10 days after surgery, oh which I okay. just shouldn't have been. Probably but my, not. Yeah. My, cause I was also a, a graduate assistant teacher but we're not assistants. We were doing the entire course. And I was told that I need to either find my replacement or show up. <laughs> and I, I was very frank with what was happening medically and what kind of surgery I was having. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I probably, in, in retrospect, I probably should have taken the semester off, but that would have meant all of my funding would be gone. And financially, it's already a big strain because you're paid almost nothing. Um, in the program anyway. So it was just, I, I was just like, I'll just not be, you know, super productive for a month or whatever, however long it takes to catch up. So, but that really, that really rubbed me the wrong way of saying, oh, major surgery, that's okay. You still have to work. So clearly there was a, a culture issue there. There was a clash of cultures and you were being asked something that to you seemed almost inhuman in a certain way or at least you know not uh compassionate or not you know not sensitive to your your clear and and very uh definite issues that you had at the time and that would then subside eventually and i'll take full responsibility for not speaking up enough for not bringing it to a different person for not like raising the issue more but i was physically falling apart mentally extremely stressed out and i did i didn't have the mental space to think clearly you know i was just trying to not fall apart even more like i was just trying to get to the surgery (laughs) to fix things so it was yeah you're going into your energy reserves and trying to go the the extra mile to fulfill your your duties so for sure that was taxing and that if, if eventually it kind of eroded your motivation to go on now, this makes me reflect on on, on different things, and uh, of course, I, I'd like to to talk about the difficult part, which is the the emotional part and, and the, the 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 decision to stop. But maybe um, one thing I'd, I'd like to reflect on is, um, and I know you were there with your husband, so as a couple, and. So for some people, they they could in your situation when when they arrived and their prof is not there, they could have said, "Well, I'm going to go where he is," or "I'm so, okay, he's not here. I don't have actual support for the type of project I wanted to do. I'll go elsewhere." Uh, and which which you know, grad, graduate school is flexible like that in a certain way. If you have funding to to let to you know to let you say, "Okay, you know." I'm not going to keep on going here because I don't have conditions to, to do what I had envisioned. 
But there's finances that go into moving to a place. We had to put money down on housing and all of, of these kinds of things. And and again, because the fact yeah. that you were there as a couple is another variable that that's uh, that that puts another pressure, another you know, other imperatives on 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 the whole situation. But it feels like where I want to get is one when you're choosing a, a place to go. Uh, get, be sure that you have all the conditions that you expect. <laughs> When when you arrive, and also if if you have the possibility uh, to choose, um, be sure that the, the culture of the place works for you. And clearly, here there was a there was some weird culture issue that you that you only saw that kind of reared its ugly head once you got sick and had. And... But how do you know that unless you're literally from that place? Like, how do, unless you did your undergraduate there, and then you don't want to have too many of your degrees from the same place. Like, literally, how do you know the culture? Of it's difficult. Well, the the, the advice usually uh, is first visit, and again, you you weren't in that situation. That for, but if you are in a more you know open prospect of of going into a PhD, uh, and and that you're not fixed on a specific university or specific geographic area, is uh, but it, this can be in the same institute is try to get uh, time to talk with past students you know past graduates of that lab or current ones alone uh, and and but alone without the pi there without anyone without uh, <laughs> so people can speak frankly that's the only advice that i can really give and uh, but it does it does take time if you want to visit different labs in different places it's time you need to invest into that but i think it's it's time well spent but again not everyone can do that so you can sometimes you can come you you can have this funding for this programs only and and that's it if you go away then no funding that no you have no more funding uh, i'm i'm just trying to to kind of open up this uh, subject to a, a more a more a wider population of people who might be still deciding where to go mm-hmm. and uh, and just to say how visiting Talking with the people who are there, talking with the people who've graduated and moved on, is very important to help you know: Am I going to be happy, and and is it going to work for me here? But of course, again, in your situation, it was it was a little bit different. Now, this was kind of advice to people looking, still looking, and trying to find where where to go. But in your specific case, so this this thing happened. You you were kind of surprised by this discourse and this uh, attitude from the institution and then this kind of eroded your your motivation to continue but then i imagine you must have had inner conversations but also conversations with your husband and with other people about this is not seems not be working anymore i i you know i don't know exactly what to do should i just uh, move on could not quit the program how did that go cuz that's i think the tough part and that's also something I'd like to cover, the whole emotional and and yeah, the whole emotional aspect of deciding this is not working for me, and I'm better off leaving. Yeah. Um. In addition to the going back to work too soon thing, I was also, despite being fully covered medically, uh, thousands of dollars in debt from what wasn't covered. Uh, on a very low 
very low stipend uh, from the university for working too much. So it, it, I was getting more and more in, in debt while overworking. And I just kept, I don't know, I, but we still kept going. I still was there, you know, what, two and two more semesters and then gave notice the third semester after that. I think it was just, I don't remember exactly what, what it was, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, to be quite honest with you. I feel like it was a, a bunch of tiny things throughout the whole time that it was just, it was I think because, yeah, I think, oh, I know what it was. There was the first big milestone was happening after the semester we decided to leave and it felt like a, a make or break moment. It felt like both of us were were thinking that this may not have been a good fit after all. And it being that point of doing even more work for that that component that was coming up, it felt like that was a good time to stop and have a big think about if this was actually what we're going to do. Because despite it being despite the messaging of the program being about the practical use of technology in the language classroom, it wasn't. The overriding message, the overriding uh, revered thing was the theory. And I know it's a PhD and apparently that's, <laughs> that's what a PhD is, but I, I fell for the messaging. I was like, you know, and I fell for the reputation, not fell for, because the hard part of all of this and why I've literally never sat down and talked about this, despite the fact that I talk about way too much in podcasts over the past seven years is because I did learn things. I did meet amazing people that I'm still in contact with. And there were good things that came out of that experience it just wasn't the program that was the gem of the experience for me at that time do you know what i mean so it's it's been really hard to talk about it because it, there were things that were just like what and there were things that were good of course of course and and you do always there's always good people there's always uh, some good but in in your case clearly it seems like uh, you you kind of I, I imagine you feeling like there was kind of a bait and switch. That, that's the feeling I'm getting from your, from your, uh, from what you're sharing. Of- a little bit. I mean, but honestly, the the joke's kind of on me because PhD programs are theoretical. I mean, they're they're generally not practical experiences in the in the U.S. Well, in I, I've talked with mostly people in in social sciences, uh, uh, and there is there's. Um, there's a term in French, and I, I don't know the term in English, but there's like it's kind of kind of uh, the, if I translate it directly, it's like action research. There are PhDs out there that are very field driven and and that are fair, very field based. But again, it would have taken you uh, having a network, you know, knowing the knowing the the research milieu in the domain and saying okay this person actually does the type of research and publishes the type of articles that I'd like to publish and and it feels like uh in this case you knew you knew the program there was this messaging coming out of there that, that of course you need to base base your choices on something and you base your choice on that which is i think normal but then when you when you got there the reality wasn't you know it was more of a discourse than actually a, a philosophy of the program so again, this goes to trying to 
get to know actually the person you're going to work with and and uh and which and it's still blowing my mind the fact that you got there and the person wasn't there so so it seems to me like both you and your husband at this time so there was this moment this thing that was coming up that was going to take more time more investment more effort and you you both looked at each other and said this is not working right right <laughs> and uh and then you said, "Okay, we are we are going to stop." How did that go uh, with your, you know, with your colleagues, with the person um, you were working with in terms of, you know, a PI or a supervisor? How were those conversations? <laughs> it's funny because my supervisor said that's the best decision you've made in a long time. <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> But <laughs> um, and and a number of people shared their stories of their PhD program wrecking their health. For yeah, and, and, and yeah, it was it was shocking because there was at once all at once there was a kind of like, okay, we don't need to play politics with you. You're no longer in the program, and also that was a wise decision good job, high five kind of thing in, in different contexts with different people. And I'm not naming names, but it was very, very strange. It was, it was, um, it was very weird. It was, it was like we became non-people for that, the rest of that semester because we were no longer, you know, going Invested, to be a yeah. long-term part of the family, that kind of thing. And also it was like, people started asking us questions on the slide, like some of the other, um, people were asking us questions about what we were planning on doing and they don't know if they should stay in and you know suddenly we were like mini psychologists to people who were were kind of up to you that is so yeah equally stressed out um (laughs) so it was it was a very bizarre reaction but mostly we just kind of turned into non-people and and went through the motions and finished the semester and and did what we could because i i don't believe in just kind of dropping the ball and and not finishing what i commit to so i wanted to finish the commitments i made for that semester um but it was it was a very bizarre thing like I, it was a very intense few weeks when we were my husband and i were going back and forth and, and thinking about it and and stressing and crying and staying up late and really trying to figure it out and then once it happened it was just kind of hilarious the reaction of what happened that is so interesting well that goes to, to show how phd is stressful and difficult and and does have a you know take a toll on people's mental health and 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 you know relaxedness in life uh, it does uh, but it's it's really funny that you were somehow now they could open up to you because you were well you said non people it's an intern it's an interesting term but you were no longer let's say in the in the tribe so they could and open up and ask and uh, <laughs> that's well we basically broke up with the program so i get it they were like well you're not gonna be a part of all these things we're planning on doing so we there's no point in including you kind of thing so this uh there was this <laughs> this kind of interesting uh turn of uh turn of events where where now you become the people the others could could open up to but then uh you you did need to now reorganize your whole life so how was how how were you able to and you also you already said that financially there was uh, some pressure accumulating uh how did how was that aspect because okay you take that decision this means that you're going to stop this means that the funding is going to stop how how quickly were you able to uh re, you know put your ducks in a row and say okay this is the next step 
this is what we're doing, this is how we're paying the the, the debts, et cetera, et cetera. It was ridiculously easy, which is just nuts. Really? I think that just means it was the right decision because we had previously worked in China a few times and there was a position that used to be freelance that turned into a full-time gig that both of us were able to do. And we literally just kind of sent one email and said, hey, look, we're both available as of January of this year. Um, do you have anything available? And so the paperwork just got started and the visa paperwork to go back was about the same time period as our leaving the PhD. And we're like, are you kidding me? Like literally two weeks into January or no, the first, I think it might've even been the first week of January, we were back in China working. Like there was almost no time between the leaving the PhD and going back to work. And it was amazing. And I paid that medical bill off really fast because at the time, at the time, it, I think it's changed now because of the pandemic, but at the time that job was really high paying and very busy. And so it was like, I'm just going to work and pay this off. I don't want the reminder of all of that happening. I don't want the, I don't want the debt and that kind of thing, but it was, it was strange how well the timing worked out. Mm. So what I'm, so th of course there's serendipity in all this and and, and it's it's uh, interesting how you know in in the end the stars aligned and you were able to to quickly and and successfully transition but um when we talked first and you just mentioned it, it's the first time you talk about it after uh, and we didn't we didn't mention exactly the the time frame of when it have when this was but it was before covid um but it feels to me and this is this is what I'm liking is, and it's a message that I wanna that I wanna share, that you don't you're not at least today, you don't seem to drag any feelings of failure around this leaving the PhD program, and uh, and you don't seem to from what you're saying, it feels like actually the next chapter was clear for you, it was quick to to transition into it. And it allowed you to be financially stable, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, for a lot of people, um, leaving, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned becoming a non-person. So it's kind of leaving a family. It's kind of leaving a tribe, breaking up. It's another term that you used. But uh, I feel that it really was, the be like your, your prof said, it was the best decision you took. Do you agree with that still, or do you still have some emotions? I I have emotions on how things were handled while we were there, but I don't, you're right, I don't view it as a failure. I tend to look at most things in life as experiments, so I think that ended up going into that pile. And to be quite honest with you, it was leaving, I, I did have a lot of emotions after we left, and because the job that we went to in China had... It was busy, but I had a lot of free time and I didn't have to do any research, no grading, like nothing was going on with any of that. I wasn't teaching. Uh, I actually could develop hobbies. And that's actually when I started getting into podcasting. And so it was because I needed an outlet that had nothing to do with English teaching or testing or anything. I needed to do a complete break to kind of process everything that had happened during the year and a half. and. It was intense at first, and then it was. Then I kind of jokingly started to say, "Left, not finished a PhD program," because to me it was important that that had just happened. But, I, but it wasn't. 
but I but I don't have the I'm not doctor. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't do the whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I don't know. There was yeah. Well, you do you do have your masters, uh, but then of course, if someone is in a situation kind of like yours, let's say it's it, it could be different. It could be. I don't know. Um, for some people, it's just tough to not be in their country of origin. Could be that. For some people, uh, it it can be that yeah, there's a culture issue, and every day is a struggle, uh, and it's taking a toll uh, on their mental health. Uh, it can be different things. Someone can be can say, okay, I'm going to go do this PhD. I'm going to try to do it as quick as possible, but my partner is staying in our country of origin or in another continent, and some people may from this um sense of mission and completion stick to something that's actually hurting them and what i want to share is no it's really possible that stopping is the best thing for you right now yeah it it helped that my goal was never to go through and become a part of this of the process like i never wanted to be a professor I never wanted to stay, get tenure, do all that kind of thing. Like I wanted to come in, get my PhD and go back to being in the field, but but feed in research-wise stuff that I was doing. So I never wanted to like stay in that lane forever. That was never my trajectory during the master's or the PhD program. So I think that helped me to some degree. But I also, my first semester there, I was, I, I had contacted somebody who was working on a program that I really admired that I was writing about in one of my papers for a course. And he had actually left his PhD. Oh, wow. And and I was fascinated by the industry that he ended up going into. And so I think part of that, that might have been a little bit of a, um, of a, what's it called? A foreshadowing of what was going to happen. But I was like, oh, so you don't have to finish. Like he actually got to keep going with that, even though he didn't, do that, which is not what I did. I went completely the opposite direction. Mm, I have nothing to do with any of that now. Yeah. <laughs> now, so it, still in this vein of it's it's okay to quit or to leave, but but to look at it from another angle, that 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 year and a half, I'm sure that I'm sure that you still learn something from it. You because there you know there was the courses, there was the teaching. What what did you learn about yourself? during that that year and a half that you use today i well that i use today no <laughs> uh the first thing i was thinking of is i finally broke through with coding and i actually could i could i i made entire programs with python which i had never been able to get to any sort of proficiency before but i don't use that every day now um or even at all actually i i got to the point with coding where i knew i could and i knew i didn't like to like that was that was the point but i but that was it was satisfying to be able to do it finally um but also i think what do i use that i learned from that i don't know i was in my 40s when i started the program so i think i knew what i was capable of up to that point um so i'm not sure i learned anything new necessarily other than that skill um and learning learning what you didn't like or didn't want for you professionally that that's that's also an outcome right it's massive outcome i ask a lot more questions about context and situations and commitments now um i hadn't actually thought about this until you asked that question but yeah i i i 
get a lot more information before I commit to anything, no matter how one off or short term it is, because I don't I don't want to remove myself from situations anymore. I want to get involved and I want to get deep and I want to have partnerships. And that was very awkward to remove myself from. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge outcome. So I'm super happy that I asked that question because I think, you know, in everything in life, the negative results, even in science, even in research, negative results <laughs> are tell you something. Important. They do tell you something. And personally, uh, I, you know, considering you know, leaving something that you invested, you moved countries, you did all the bureaucracy, and then you had to ex extract from yourself. It's a lot of investment. But then, then now you learned something and it changed the way you're facing new projects, new collaborations, new things you get involved in. I think it is it is a very important outcome, and uh, and which for me goes to show that you can always take something positive from any experience that that you do. And leaving something that's somehow toxic to you uh, is uh, is not failing is it's putting you yourself first uh, and i think and your health and your mental health and for me i think that is key if you 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 may be a researcher in seven years but if your mental health is not there are you going to be because is it sustainable and are you going to be at your best and are going to are going to have a happy productive life in that domain i don't know it's uh it's a uh, it's a hard choice to make and and i would always put mental health and and physical health first yeah yeah well clearly me too <laughs> <laughs> um so steph now so you said that while you were in china you got involved you had these hobbies you started uh uh getting interested in podcasting did it start with creating a podcast mm -hmm. one two three i i was because I got so used to working so much, I I once I started playing around with podcasting, I I created a, a lot of different projects. Once I learned there was an online community that I could tap into, I started like doing conferences and like connecting to people, doing workshops, like like as much as I could, you know, share and grow and learn. I just like dove in really deep, <laughs> mm -hmm. and. Uh... Can you just talk a little bit about what you're doing today in terms of podcasting? Because I, I believe that's now your your key, your, you know, your the central activity uh, that the, that you have professionally. It right? is my business. Yeah, yeah, that is that is what I do now. I mostly help small businesses or people running a, a community. Um, I help them reach, uh, well, sustain their their out their outreach with their podcast, YouTube video, newsletter, whatever components they have in their ecosystem, and also try to help them reach new people that they're trying to find via different marketing methods, organic outreach, anything like that. But it's, yeah, it, it's multi-layer because I love podcasts, but they have there's a feedback loop that's broken within that. So using the videos and the newsletters and things really helps to to keep people in the in the thing yeah, just, yeah, the, so. just the rss feed is is a diff it's not it's not enough <laughs> it's not i i hope someday that gets fixed but until then and it's also nice to be in different areas to find people and to get them into your ecosystem so so yeah so i'm helping folks do that to uh, to grow their stuff and spread their message hmm. and so i 
for people who are watching, I'm you know there's your contacts here, your, your website here going uh, in a marquee. But for people listening, if they want to reach out, maybe to share their story, listen, want to know a little bit more about yours, uh, what's the best the best place to find you? Where can they reach out to you? Yeah, stephfuccio.com right here. <laughs> it has the stuff for podcasters, for podcast editors, which is a large part of what I do behind the scenes. Um, and it also has my own creations there. So you can find everything, hopefully organized pretty well at that site. Um, if uh, you are in podcasting, you are listening. Also, Steph has a newsletter. And it's uh, you can find it at Steph fuccio.ghost.io and the name is now you kind of melded two newsletters you had in one what is it called now um i'm playing with the name but today it's still called uh questions for audio creatives okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah well you know everything is a project uh is is a a project uh in construction and and i think uh we need to as as creators we need to be able to adapt and like it's like papa phd now it's beyond the thesis with papa phd and uh, it was a long time to decide on first to find a name to decide on changing and then i hit the hundred thousand listens i said okay this week i'm gonna unveil it <laughs> here we are i totally understand the process <laughs> exactly rebranding so, is hard but it, needs it is hard it is hard mm-hmm. now steph uh i'm super happy that that you came here today and and i, I learned a few things with uh, with you today and uh one important one is for me at least uh is uh nothing is worth giving up your health be, be it physical or mental uh, a degree is not worth it. That's a that's a, a first big message. The second one, and we just mentioned it, is a negative result is a result, is something that can instruct things that you're gonna do in the future. For you, seeing how you had you went into this thing of moving, of getting to a PhD program, and then how you arrived and the terrain didn't look at all as as you had imagined, and then you know, the, the the picture totally changed. This informs how you now uh, embark onto projects, onto collaborations, and uh, ensure that if you start a project, you finish it. You now approach things differently. You you uh, scout the terrain. You have conversations, and you ensure that you're going to be able to do it. This is an important outcome of of what you did. The other important outcome is now is that now you're happy at what you do, and that uh, it allowed you to go into a next project where actually what you do today was kind of born. So, leaving a program is not failure. That's that would be message three. It is not failure, especially if you're if you're doing it because it's hurting you somehow and it's or it's being toxic to you. I think it is the right choice. Like your supervisor said, it it's probably the best decision that you will take uh, because you can wake up seven years later and then and then think, why am I here? What you know? Why did I spend these years doing this? And why am I now uh, I, you know a, a shell of the person I was <laughs> at the beginning of this process? So I think those are three very important lessons. I'm I'm super grateful that you came here today to share that. And I'm sure it was not super easy because like you said, it was the first time you talked about it publicly since 
things had transpired <laughs> and uh, and yeah i i i don't i wonder whether you have something to add like uh, a message for someone who's going into that decision point of mm, is this really working for me or should i maybe pause or even leave do you have a, a word of uh, inspiration for those people <sighs> and and they are out there yeah i know i know and i just because it's so hectic when you're in it it's so hard to take those few minutes but i'd say take the few minutes i'm going to say go walk in nature if you can and just try to listen to yourself because it's really hard when you're doing the millions of things you have to do in the programs to to realize if it's really building up what you want to do who you want to be and we have to listen to ourselves and sometimes you have to remove yourself from a situation to to do that um so yeah nature nature always brings out the best in us <laughs> so, you sound, how, how much time did you spend in japan a lot It's yeah feel, it feels a bit, uh, a bit japanese <laughs> <laughs> but i totally agree taking that whatever uh, is the space that allows you to reflect and to be you know in this you know uh, uh, introspective um, kind of place uh, do that and and also talk with people that conversation that, that's an also an interesting point that foreshadowing from the the researcher who who you admired and they said oh actually i started a program and, and never finished it talk with people who have who inspire you and you'll be surprised how they might help you in your decisions too um Yeah, Steph, this was a great conversation. I'm super happy that that you that you accepted my invitation. I wasn't, you know, sure that that it would be comfortable for you. I think it went really well. And I think uh, this this type of story and sharing this type of story is uh is super important because it's uh, you know, you can tell, you can give advice to people as much as you want. Listening to a story of someone who lived through something that resembles where you are is for me the best way to to help people uh, and to inspire them to to take different decisions to uh, or 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 simply to to take a step that they might be afraid of of taking so thank you this was great thank you thank you i feel a little lighter after talking about this so thank you beyond the thesis with papa phd is a labor of love if you like the show and have found value in it You can pay it forward by donating to help other people like you hear Papa PhD. Even a $5 one-time donation will be really appreciated. So go to papaphd.com forward slash support to donate or to papaphd.com forward slash Patreon to become a patron. Your support will help me cover the cost of hosting, equipment and other recurring expenses needed to bring you a high quality show week after week. Thank you for your support. I am David Mendez. See you next week.